Welcome to True Fiction, the podcast that talks to creative people to find out where their creativity comes from. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Across the table from me is our co-host, Norbert Yates. How's it going tonight, Norbert? I'm sick of the heat. Man, I am sick of the heat too, and uh, it just feels like it's getting worse. So, yeah. <laughs> I heard uh, <laughs> Just like I don't listen to politics, I try not to listen to the weatherman because they're just bad news. And uh, <laughs> More bad news coming is what I heard. Tonight, our guest is a fellow podcaster, music producer, and record label owner. True Fiction welcomes Squids Killing It. How's it going, Squids? Oh, you know, just uh, living life and loving it. Hanging out and being groovy? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, (laughs) busy, busy and all get out, especially with photography these days. Oh, yeah, doing a lot. Um, What kind of photography are you doing? Uh, Mostly band photography, like on stage and, you know, the crowds and whatnot. Uh, I also do a lot of landscape photography and flower photography. Uh, generally, if I if I do anything that's like you know has people involved, I generally don't publish those on my Instagram at Squids Killing It Photography. Uh, but I do a lot of landscape and flower pics. Do you pr- process it, or do you have somebody else do that for you? I do everything independently. I edit the podcasts. I do everything like mix and master my own tracks. I do all my own photo editing. I do all my own video editing, like for uh, music videos and stuff like that. So I also do that uh, for other artists. Oh, that's very cool. And you're out in Wyoming, right? Yes, sir. So I imagine you get some pretty great landscapes out there. Yeah. Um, I have yet to make the venture to Teton and Yellowstone yet, you know, with the new camera that I have, but uh, I definitely want to sometime in the near future. Oh man, that's uh that's great that you're you're close over there. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty great. I like I like to just travel and go to hidden places that are unknown. You know, I do a lot of hiking and stuff in the summertime. But as of lately, I've just been working on weekends. So, oh wow. <laughs> when you grew up, did you grow up in Wyoming? Or have you been sort of uh, immersed in that kind of uh, that that landscape that world? since you've been little or did you migrate there? How did that work? Um, So we moved to Wyoming from San Bernardino, California when I was 10 and I've been here ever since. So about 20 years, I've just been wandering around mostly Southeastern Wyoming, Laramie and encampment area. It's like being from a different country in a way, because I think of Wyoming, I have these romantic pictures of vistas and these, you know, great big, uh, you know, the mountains and things like that. So I, I'm sure you're, you're probably right in a city or something though, aren't right? Or no? Uh, Laramie is only like 30,000 people. I mean, you can't really consider any place in Wyoming to be a city um, because like there's only 520,000 people in the whole state anyway. So. 520,000 people. Oh my yeah. gosh. Wow. You get some space there. That's a little space. That's nice, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely um, a lot of space, but uh, we are increasing in population by the day because of being so close to Colorado. Uh, the property value on my house shot up like 38% in two years. So Not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I already own it, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Do you find that, so, okay, so you went from California, a very populous area and a different kind of lifestyle. And at 10, you remember culture and, and that sort of thing of, of being in a densely populated area. Now you go to an area where it's sparsely populated and that changes your culture. So that also changes the focus of art. It changes all kinds of things. Are you aware of that kind of thing that you're in a 
different cultural space and how do you think that affects your art? So it's definitely something to get used to because I went from being a white minority essentially in San Bernardino to being the Hispanic minority into the town that we moved into because I went from a school of like 3,000 kids in my class to a school that had 12 kids from sixth grade to or from fourth grade to sixth grade. So that was definitely a culture shock, um, especially going from a place that's primarily hip hop and jazz to uh, that's pure country, you know, like uh, I produce hip hop music now and like lo-fi trap music, you know, you can take the kid out of the hood, but you can't <laughs> take the hood out the kid, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So yeah, it, it was definitely different, but you know, I enjoy all types of music. I listen to everything. If you look at my Pandora playlist or like my title playlist, there's just everything on there. So um, I, I'm working with a couple artists now that are in the country music scene and uh, it's, it's been quite the experience. Well, that's cool. You know, and there's a, I can never remember the guy's name, but he did a really cool kind of a, I was almost like an electronic album, but then his other albums are just like super country. I mean, they're the most country albums you've ever heard. Sturgill, yeah, my engineer said Sturgill Simpson, so I'm going to agree with that. I think it's interesting how the the lines have been blurring between these things. You know, we we we're, we've got the there's a uh, like Old Town Road um, was a country hit, so it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it was a pop hit and it was a country pop hit. So yeah. yeah, it was it was definitely different and definitely not part of anything that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a kid, a long time ago, there was a couple artists that I was introduced, I'm wanting to say between eight and twelve years old. And I feel like it sort of set me in, in what I like. And it sounds like that's something that's similar to you, that you got introduced to something, you know, cult, you know, you're talking about hip hop and stuff. I don't know if this is the same thing, but it feels like there's something artistically that gets set with you when you're still very young. Do you, yeah. fe- do you feel like that? That's kind of like, even though you go to someplace different, you're involved with something else. You know, I mean, I, there's other artists that I've been in, uh, influenced by since then, but there's that sort of like roots that are deep from those initial exposures as a kid. Yeah. My older brother is five years older than me. Uh, so he was very influential in my music tastes and stuff like that, especially when I was growing up because you know, I wanted to be like him. And he was a cool dude, but I really liked bare naked ladies, right? They had that song one week, dude, I would jam out to that. I was like six. Right. And then, um, I was watching pop-up video on VH1 back in the early nineties, you know, (laughs) and, uh, that song, uh, the music video for that song came on and I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I have to watch this. And then intergalactic by the beastie boys came on right after that. And I was like, what? is (laughs) is this <laughs> what is this and so i got really into the beastie boys after that and i was like this type of music is like is great like great type of music you know i i just instantly fell in love with it and uh, my older brother was like oh you like them you know here's some other artists and stuff like that and he was always into uh, bmx uh videos like street bmx videos where they're just you know doing tricks and stuff and those always had hip-hop albums or hip hop tracks on them. And there was this one called uh, proceed with caution by benefit. And 
um, that had that really grungy underground hip hop and like his rhyme scheme throughout it was just crazy. The flow that he had was just intense. And I was just like, yeah, I really like hip hop, really like hip hop. And then we moved to Wyoming and didn't really get much more of that. <laughs> and you say, how do you play hip hop on a banjo? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm figuring it out though. I, uh, I've actually been uh, working on a couple tracks that are kind of similar to that. I've always enjoyed where you push two genres together and you get something totally new and, and really cool. You know, I'm a fan of any music that is trying to take a couple steps into uncharted territory. I think that's the best. So, so now you're, you're a music producer. Are you producing your own stuff? Or are you producing other people or both? I do both. So I sell beats on my beat store at killingitproductions.com. I was doing it on SoundCloud then, you know, just networking. Various artists would hit me up and say, I, I like this. How can I, you know, get that and whatnot? So um, part of being that record label owners, you know, I can decipher, you know, what the agreements on those terms are, royalty splits and things of that nature. And my lawyer has pretty much set up all of that stuff. So I was like, that's good. That's good to have all that stuff, to have that knowledge. And so now I'm just pretty much working with mostly artists that are in my level. You know, uh, they say that if you try and go above your level, then it probably won't work out as well as if people are trying to reach your level, it's probably not going to work out there. So you have to work with people that are on your level and progress and, you know, try to get to where you need to go there. So I mainly work with a bunch of independent artists from Atlanta, Denver, California, Montana. Like I've worked with quite a quite a grip of people so far. When you're an artist getting into a field, you're you're in Wyoming, which is not exactly the hip hop uh, capital of anywhere. Uh, what's the first step? I think a lot of artists, it's that first strike to get into you know some sort of success that's really critical and it's very frustrating. It's hard once you get the first notch on your belt. The second gets a lot easier. How did you get that first first success? I've always been musically inclined. Not, nobody else in my family is musically inclined. So I just kind of picked it up from the recorder. I was like, I, you know, I like doing that. So I, I'm going to move on to a different instrument. And I had a, a cousin that she was a music teacher, or at least at the time she was going to be a music teacher. And she was like, hey, you should try trumpet. You know, like you like that sound. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So I did trumpet for like nine years and then moved on to like different instruments, like pianos and stuff like that. And when I moved to college, I was like, dubstep seems like it's a pretty easy thing to make. So I'm going to try making dubstep. Lo and behold, it's not very easy to make. Four or five years, I didn't really put out anything because I was just trying everything that was too complicated, like especially with sound design. And it was like January 16th of 2020. There was a producer by the name, well, there is a producer by the name of Kato on the track. And he does a lot of stuff for hip hop artists and stuff like that. And he produced a lot of songs for one of my favorite rappers. And so he was doing this thing called Sound Advice Tour, which was he would go to various different cities and he would meet all these different producers and artists and stuff like that and get like a networking thing going on with them. And during that time, I, I showed him some tracks that I had and that wasn't really comfortable uploading yet. And he was like, these are really good. And I want you to, you know, even if you think it's bad, 
put it out in the world so you can at least get critiqued on it, whether it's negative or positive, you know, you will have negative effects and you will have positive ones, but you will find, you know, which ones are actually, you know, there to further your art and you, you know, obviously the, the haters as they call them. And I was like, okay. So I just started putting out music and a lot of the people that I networked with at those events, you know, really liked what I was doing and they're like, all right, you know, let's, uh, let's link up and, you know, get all this stuff going. So when the first artist hit me up, he was from Denver and he was like, Hey, I really like this one that you have, you know, maybe there's a couple things you could change on it for me. And I was like, yeah, totally. So, uh, sold him that beat and pretty much hit the ground running. Nice. That's very cool. Hip hop is very much different than just straight rock. Uh, I know that it's still part of the whole umbrella, but I noticed that, uh, you know, when you said the haters, right? Uh, I know there's haters in rock and roll too, but it seems like it's more territorial in, uh, you know, even though you've got good beats, it seems like in, in, um, in hip hop, sometimes it's not about how good you are. It's about, it's about how these people want to basically get over on you. You know what I'm saying? Getting better, you know, saying that I'm better than you. It's a a lot of a, in a way, it seems like a pissing contest to a certain extent. Is this, is this what you've seen or is this, no, this isn't it. It's really, that's just kind of a show or. So generally hip hop started as kind of a way to, you know, shout your aggression at the oppression of the way you're being mistreated. And it's a way to release yourself emotionally. So it, it pretty much started out with bad mouthing certain things. So as that has progressed, you have artists now, you, you have, it's hand over fist. You know, everybody wants to be a rapper. Everybody wants to be a producer. So you have to essentially make your own lane. Either that's talking very highly of yourself or it's talking very negatively about someone else. Usually, you know, if you have good artists, then they'll be talking about, you know, mostly inner things and, you know, how they feel or experiences that they've had. So they're not really one or the other, which is, you know, like I said, how hip hop started was with your experiences and how you dealt with those experiences and mostly at the police. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I mean, yeah, you're going to have definitely forms of that bad mouthing and, you know, obviously there are still gang affiliations. So they're East of coast, West coast, blue versus red, um, you know, and everything in between now, but I just try not to get caught up in that. You know, I'm just a producer. <laughs> if you got the money and you want to pay for it, <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> Absolutely. As you're uh, producing, how much control do you take over on their, their music? So I don't generally like to kill whatever that they have going, you know, if they see something and they want it to be that way, then it's my job as a producer to get as close to that as possible. I can throw notes out there, you know, construct full criticism. Like, you know, I think it would sound better if you had this rather than that on it, or if you had this word changed to this, you know, but generally I don't like to ruin the vision. Yeah, you know, they're, uh, and I guess that's, uh, you know, that's something they're paying for. So they should get their money's worth. But I also think that, you know, as they say, this ain't your first rodeo. So (laughs) you you may know a little bit better than they do uh, to start off. So uh, for them anyway. Yeah. And I've been, uh, I've been doing a lot of different things of like teaching people the music industry um, because it's, it's difficult. There's so many things that you have to know. And if you, especially in Wyoming, we don't have a record label, you know, we have independent studios and stuff like that, but they're, they're not doing what I'm doing. Right. So 
that's essentially where I come into play. It's like, if you want to know the music business, send me, send me a DM, you know, squids killing it on Instagram. Send me an email at squids killing it dot, you know, at gmail.com. And, you know, we can set up a zoom meeting. I can teach you the ins and outs of how to set up your IPI numbers, how to collect royalties, how to do split sheets with other artists. If you have collaborations, you know, they, there's so much stuff to know. And if you're like a major label, then you're taking like 95% of royalties and everything like that. And the artist is only getting 5%. And so I'm trying to switch that around and, you know, I got to, I have mine set up to 15%. Um, and then you get the other, you get the rest, you know, like I don't need that much unless it's my beat and you know, stuff like that, then whatever. But if I sign an artist, then I'm, I'm taking 15%, but they own their masters. Um, I don't know if you know, you know, that's a big thing in the music industry now is owning your masters. Um, Scooter Braun, you know, he owned Taylor Swift masters for the longest time and then he sold them. Um, recently, uh, just because she was, she is a very smart uh, business lady, especially for being how young she is, is definitely paving the way for independent artists. I mean, she made 24 million last year and just whatever, you know, she didn't even tour. I mean, just imagine if she, cause she's selling out arenas and stuff like that. Like she's selling out big places Oh yeah, and she still made 24 million. Like <laughs> she's killing it. <laughs> so would you talk about Selling the masters that has nothing to do with the intellectual property then. So there's three separate, well, there's two separate ways that you can collect on your royalties. There's the composition and then there's the uh, masters, right? So it's all dependent on how the record label has your contract set up. If they have intellectual property on that, you know, if you sign that away, then you're, you don't have any say so, but you can, you can set up any contracts that you would like. Uh, generally, if you get a, if you get a contract offer from a, a major record label, you want to take that contract to an independent, a lawyer of sorts. You don't want to use their lawyer. Cause obviously sure. they're going to say, <laughs> yeah, this is a good deal. You know, but you want to have, you want to find somebody that's not even part of that group that can read that contract and say, okay, well, this is exactly what it means. And this is what you're signing away. So you can, if you're a good enough artist, then generally they'll want to work with you. The record label will, because they want that number. They want those numbers regardless of what they are. But nowadays, if, if you, if you're a good artist, then you can do anything independently because they make everything pretty easy now to understand. And there's people like me that will teach you this stuff to be independent. But generally what I want to do is just why people sign to major record labels is for the advertising money, right? I don't have, you know, 6K to throw into, you know, billboards in Los Angeles and, you know, Facebook ads and things like that to get people to buy this. That's kind of where, why I'm working with artists on my level is because, we're just doing bar shows and stuff like that right now, um, local gigs and whatnot, and hopefully getting a little bit more money to where we can do tours like that. Yeah. So you're not only, you're not a studio, you're a producer, you're create beats, you f do photography, which of these, I mean, there's a lot of dis different disciplines and a lot of different things you're doing. What's your favorite part to do? What's the favorite thing to do? Collecting the money. No, I'm just kidding. 
um, allocating where the funds go is definitely one of the better parts of it because there's a reason I'm doing everything independently um, is because I don't want to have anybody tell me how to do anything that I do. So it started out DJ, right? I was like, okay, DJ is great, but I want to know how to make music because that's where I came from, you know, just playing instruments. Okay, well, how do I play my own uh, individual stuff? Okay, well, you kind of have to set up a record label of sorts in order to collect royalties because you have to have a publishing company that can collect those royalties, which is the LLC that you have to create. So I was like, okay, so if I'm going to be putting out music, I need to have that. Well, if I have that, I might as well learn how to do photography and videography uh, so I can make my own music videos and edit my own music videos as well as, you know, have better video for the podcast because my podcast is video and audio. So I would say my favorite is probably creating the music that I like to make, which is lo-fi hip hop. I just like to chill. <laughs> yeah. We had a friend that had a uh, record studio and he would talk about one of the more difficult things is what he he called he said you was part uh uh almost father figure he had to basically exercise leadership over recording because sometimes people would lose focus or they would not especially when he dealt with bands did you find that the psychology of working with people as artists and keeping them on on, on track yeah. yeah on task was it easy for you? Has it been a learning process? Are you still learning? Talk about that. Generally, what I do is um, if an artist comes to my studio, I charge them for the beat. And if they want to record in my studio, then I also charge them hourly. So generally, I don't care because they're paying hourly. So it's all it's their money. I will just sit there as long as I need to, because like I said, <laughs> I get paid like 150 an hour for them to just be there. So I also collect bigger royalties if they record in my studio. So instead of doing 50% for the producer and the stuff like that, um, especially if we're just doing independent artist stuff, then I'll do 55 or 60% of those royalties rather than the 40, you know? Um, and if they use my beat, then it's 50%. And if they get it mixed and mastered elsewhere, then that's, a whole separate thing. Generally what I do is they, they hit me up. They say they want the beat. I send it to them. Then it's all on their own time, wherever they're at. So I don't have to worry about it. You know, I, I, as long as they sign the split sheet and give me those royalties and use my beat and keep the producer tag in there, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all their own time. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, transaction complete. So yeah. <laughs> well, very good. Yeah, generally, it's like that, um, especially as of, you know, since COVID hit, I don't get that many people in the studio anymore. Uh, so I'm just sending beats off and they're recording their own stuff in their own studio at whatever length of time. Did it change your business when COVID, COVID hit? How much did it change your business? So on the podcast side, it definitely changed the business because uh, we went from in-person, uh, in-studio podcast to Zoom podcasting which has opened the gate up, you know, for many, many different ventures. Uh, like you said, Bruce Valanche was on. He's definitely not going to come into the studio, right? So yeah, it, right. Like, getting bigger guests like that has helped. Maybe um, if you had a Hollywood square. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
as far as like the music side, I didn't generally get that many people in my studio um, from that point. Mostly I'm just doing everything you can see. People can't see, but there's a piano behind me and I have like a vocal booth here that has a drum set in it that I just record all my stuff in. So it really hasn't changed that much stuff on the music side. One of the things I, I think about all the time with music just a, is a, I wonder if it's any more particular in, in hip hop or not, but most artists, especially in rock, their most productive time and the hits that they live by are, are recorded within the first, what, 10, 15 years of their existence of a band. I mean, you may have a hit or two afterwards, but I mean, the work that really sets them is in the first 10 or 15 years. I can't think of very many bands that, you know, produce like groundbreaking stuff 30 years into their work. And whereas, you know, like artists or directors of of uh, they can be productive some of them in their 70s 80s is hip-hop even less of a, a, th- a time thing or is it more is because i don't know much about hip-hop is is uh, your lifespan of creative work 10 years 20 years well i mean if we look at artists like eminem you know he he started in the early 90s and th- that the Slim Shady LP is probably one of my favorite hip hop albums of all time. But if you fast forward to the new stuff that he's releasing, I mean, he has definitely progressed into a point of where he can pretty much make any type of music he wants. Now he doesn't even have to go on tour and he gets a hundred million views per music video. Like that alone sets him up for his house payment for, (laughs) you know, a year, just the one music video. And a lot of people will, you know, especially in the hip hop community, they will say, Uh, always sold out or he doesn't, you know, make music like he used to or anything like that. And, you know, progression is what life is about, right? You either stay stagnant and don't do anything or you progress and you get better and then you make, you know, different hits that way. So it depends on the artists, you know, because there's obviously a a few artists that don't make music anymore. You know, you got um, LL Cool J. You know, he was popular in the late 80s, early 90s, um, and he hasn't really, you know, made much music since. Ludacris, he was in the 2000s, and he he made great music then. And I'm not sure if he's still making music now, but he might have just done some really good investments and doesn't have to do music anymore. (laughs) Generally, that's what will happen is that they will make, like, MC Hammer, he made, you know... that song that everybody likes to listen to at weddings. <laughs> and um, that's what he gets paid from. He still gets royalty checks from that, you know? So he's also invested. Uh, Vanilla Ice, he was a decent rapper in the late 80s, you know, but has since fallen off and haven't really done anything since. So it all really depends on the artists. Um, a lot of the artists that I listened to 10 years ago are still making decent records today. Um, Hobson is a, a very decent hip-hop artist that i've been listening to joiner lucas he he keeps making hits and i don't think he's made like a bad song yet you know like it depends on who there is you know and what they're doing where they're from their life experiences you know if they did do investments or not when they did make those good records because if they did then they're probably not making that much music now you know so i mean it's all dependent and every genre has that 
you know, like Garth Brooks, he's still making music. He's been making music and he still makes hits, you know, uh, George Strait, he made a lot of hits and is obviously retired now and he might come back, you know, but <laughs> right. he's got his own home studio. Yeah. Um, my wife was supposed to see him, but I think it was last year, but the concert got uh, canceled. Well, I was thinking about what you said earlier when you said that, you know, hip hop originates from a place of shouting against injustice. And I sort of think that even if you're an artist like Eminem, you, you know, you become very comfortable, you become very wealthy, you get a lot of, uh, it's harder to speak to that injustice because you're not in a place where you're experiencing, you're, you're close to it when you're young and hungry and you're, and I, I got to believe even if you get technically better, it's it's hard to have that primal emotional reaction and expression. expression. It just would seem to me, I mean, if that's kind of like the blues, I mean, it's hard to sing the blues when you're a multi-millionaire, <laughs> you know, right. uh, have yeah, five ma- mansions. Yeah, that's generally what happens too, is like if you look at the progression of, any artist, you know, they're generally their first two albums are their best work, right? Because they have those lows, they have those highs, they have just like, I, this is how I feel right now. And, you know, this is who I dislike, right? And then they get money and they start saying things like, oh, you know how much I get paid and all their stuff is about, you know, women's cars and alcohol of some kind, right? And it's less so of, you know, these injustices. So that's generally the point when people fall off. Um, that's why that's why I like Joyner Lucas so much is because his first two albums were great and his next you know, two after that were great as well because he, he, he has variety. He talks about, you know, how he feels a lot and how he used to feel and experiences that he's had as well as he can, you know, he can rap about money and just being, you know, silly with his rhyme scheme and his, you know, similes and metaphors are, are just there, you know, like you can't really compete with something like that. And when you have an artist like that, they're, they're probably going to continue doing that. And like I said, if we look at Eminem's progression, it was, you know, I don't like my ex-wife, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> my kid is, you know, my world. And, you know, as he progressed, it's more so of like how he dislikes mainstream hip hop, like how he hates mainstream music, <laughs> even though he's like one of the most mainstream people, but he generally tends to just crap on like all the other mainstream artists, but he's been doing that the whole time too, you know? So it's, it depends on the the person and their experiences and how far they came up. It's interesting too, sometimes that you get a, somebody that is definitely on the fringe and they're doing their own thing and then they get very popular and all of a sudden it's not them who went commercial. It's, it's the, it's everybody's started to accept their music and say, you know, this is part of the the zeitgeist of this time, and this this is a big thing. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, there's so many bands that will come out like Nine Inch Nails. I would have never thought that they would have got the popularity that they did. The move, music is dark, and it's uh, you know, it's mean and <laughs> it feels mean spirited in some ways. But man, I, you know, it just really does touch something, and it really it's basically hit a nerve in a lot of people which you wouldn't think that he would be a multi-platinum 
Trent Reznor would be a multi-platinum star, not from listening to Pretty Hate Machine, but look at look at where we're at now. You know, this guy is now he's making music just to make the music. He is not even selling it. He's just giving it away, which I think is pretty cool. There's a there's an EDM artist called Pretty Lights. He is from Fort Collins, which is about 60 miles away from here, 60 miles of the south here in Colorado, and he is always, always giving away his music. If you go to prelights.com, you can just download any song you want. And he just does that. And he gives a lot of money away to charities. Wow. Um, and he just continues to make great music. Um, he's, he went from a dude in his mom's basement to having like a 12 piece band, creating these electric light shows and just like great shows in general. His music videos are crazy. Like he just does a lot of stuff and most of it is to give back to his community. And that's generally what we do too. 50% of the music of the money I make for my music, you know, whether it's streaming or, you know, music video watches or people actually buy my album or, you know, buy the one song on iTunes, half of that money goes into my community. You know, that's That's great. That's, that's awesome. I would really like to do that. Um, but I won't. (laughs) <laughs> for a while anyway it'll be a while you know no i was gonna i was gonna switch gears but if, if oh, you... i just have one one more thought along the lines of recording have you said you recorded on your level and i was wondering if there's anybody you don't have to mention the name but just have you had somebody that you recorded and you go oh my that person may be you know five or ten years from now you know may blow up have you had that experience yet or you haven't had that? Uh, yeah. Um, there's quite a few artists that I work with that are very passionate about what they do. And, you know, as long as you keep practicing and you keep progressing, you're going to have success. You know, it's all about determination and persistency. You know, and if you can stay true to yourself and keep your music you know, how the people that started with you like it, then obviously there's going to be more people that are going to like it, you know? And that's one of the things that Cato told me. He says, if you like it, there's bound to be, you're not going to be the only jerk in existence that likes your music. Like if you put it out there, there are going to be people that like it. And, you know, like there's people that hate country music. There's people that hate hip hop, you know? It's like, you can't please everybody, but Generally, why I, I tend to fall into the lo-fi hip-hop as well is because I don't have lyrics over it, you know? It's just chill hip-hop beats with, you know, some ambient noise over it and, you know, something that you can sit and read to or you can study to or you can just put your headphones on and, you know, because I have high anxiety. So that's generally why I make the music is so I can just chill out and just think about whatever and just that repetitiveness and you don't have to pay attention to it. You just listen to it and just get rid of your anxiety or you know whatever it is that it's bothering you i am i'm a huge fan of this online radio station it's uh, somafm.com and they have just all these little stations built in and they have the drone zone and i just i'm like i'm exact i mean i know what you're saying because i have to i put that on and it just it chills me out i can do all kinds i can work with it on i can just relax so i love it i'm glad that you're putting that i have to go check your stuff out now you're on spotify what what's the name under spot is it squids killing it or is it just uh killing it productions it's squids killing it okay q u i d z space k i l l i n i t 
So, folks, if you uh, you want to get some great chill-out music, check out Squid's Killing It on Spotify. I want to switch up a little bit. You are like us in a way. I mean, you're not a, like us because you do the video, but you're a podcaster. Is that, was that a natural progression from the, the music, or was it the other way around? Or um, how did you get into podcasting? So I started a job at an insurance company sitting at a desk doing paperwork and, um, enough said, I, no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, 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 seriously enough said. So, but before I was doing uh, manual labor, I was a supervisor of an oil company and I was generally just listening to music and I'd come home dog tired, wouldn't even do music at all. And when I, when I switched over to that insurance company, you know, sitting at a desk doing paperwork, I was just listening to podcasts generally, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of comedic podcasts, like bad friends, Joe Rogan, your mom's house podcast, <laughs> you know, pretty much anybody in that LA comic scene. Um, I listen to their podcasts, Fitz dog radio, just great podcasters. Uh, good for you podcast, Whitney Cummings. And so my friend was also really into podcasts and he's the one that got me into listening to podcasts. He's like, dude, you have to listen to podcasts. Like they're so funny, you know? And Every time I'd listen to like Tom Segura's podcast, uh, your mom's house that I watch it every Wednesday and listen to it every Wednesday. And he was like, Hey, we could have a podcast. I mean, you already have the microphones and you already have most of the equipment. So why not do a podcast? And I was like, I mean, if you want to do it, like, let's, let's get into it. Like, let's do it. Um, next to the lamp is, was two years old on April 1st. Oh, wow. Congratulations. We were kind of inconsistent there for a while. Uh, there was like a four-month, five-month break where we didn't do anything. And then uh, just last year, I was like, all right, I have to do this. If I'm going to do this and be successful at it, I have to do this and I have to be consecutive. So we release every Tuesday on YouTube and every you know podcast platform that you can at least listen to. Uh, generally, it's uploaded around 10 a.m., but sometimes it takes like one or two in the afternoon. But we've seen a lot of spikes on Sunday. Sundays on the Sunday after our releases, we get a lot of downloads. So I don't know what that's about. And I generally don't know what's going on there, but like Belgium, we have a lot of fans in Belgium and like France and like, okay, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and Ohio, like, I don't like Ohio has been killing it for us. They have more downloads than Wyoming does. <laughs> and wow. then Virginia. And I'm like, I don't know anybody in Virginia. <laughs> I so would shout out to my Virginia fan. <laughs> yeah. Your, your foreign people may, I'm not saying this is definitely true, it may be VPNs where they're routing it through um, uh, servers in France. Okay. Or, Could be, but we do buy me a cup of coffee. And unfortunately, I was we were running buy me a cup of coffee and my credit card had, had uh, expired and I didn't realize it. And where we got uh, somebody from France had sent us some money that we <laughs> never got. But I mean, you know, that's a that's a neat thing to do if you I don't know if you monetize or how you monetize. But buy me a cup of coffee is a really cool thing where, you know, they can give you a couple bucks if they like your show. And I, I really appreciate it just because we got to know that, hey, that person in... Um, in uh in France that's actually a person so that was kind of cool you know to know that these people across the world are listening to you yeah we have a lot of downloads from the podnods crawler um it's an app a generally russian based app wow uh but they that's where our most downloads come from is podnods 
No kidding. I'd never heard of that. That's that's crazy. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I've never heard of it either until I started getting downloads from it. And like usually they they make up like 50% of our downloads. Holy Spotify cow. is not so much. Apple Podcasts, not so much. Google Podcasts, not so much. So it's mainly uh, Libsyn Classic Feed. I don't know who you use as a distributor, but we use Libsyn. Okay. And yeah, that evidently Podnods is killing it. <laughs> That's neat. I'll have to check into that. And now I need to get my part of a pod nods, you know, I got, I got to get my people on pod nods. You want to get listening. your Russian friends, right? I got to get my Russian friends. Should I, can I even yeah. say that on the air now? <laughs> Is that, <laughs> we're going to hear a click, click, click. There's somebody listening in. Um, I listened to you today. You guys sent it great. It sounded like it was, it was fun. It was the, the Easter one. So that was a lot of fun. Phones are fairly old. That was, <laughs> I think that was Easter like two years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That was our Facebook one. I think it's the only one we uploaded to Facebook. Generally they get pulled because of the mature language that we use. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the misinformation because we joke about everything and anything, you know, being comedians ourselves. We just, we say stuff that probably most people shouldn't say, but we say it for a laugh. And, uh, you know, since we're independent, you know, it doesn't really matter. So it's like, we say what we want to say and we just have fun doing it. So Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, like basically the same thing. If it makes you laugh, there's somebody else listening to it and it's making them laugh too. So, you know, keep doing it. I think that's awesome. We go to uh, Facebook and we find next to the lamp and it's next and numeral to the lamp, right? Yep. And then we can, we check out your podcast. Oh, very cool. Do you do any cross stuff with the music and the podcast? I made the intro song to the podcast. That's generally where it's at. And, you know, we are mostly music and comedy-based podcasts. So I talk to a lot of music producers on there. I, I generally, our podcast is, you know, focused around the guests, how they grew up and how they got into what they're doing and stuff like that. Generally getting to know the person themselves rather than their business. That's generally what we try to do is ask them questions of like, you know, how did you get into it? Where'd you grow up? You know, were your parents supportive? Uh, things like that. Um, especially in the hip hop community, it's pretty difficult to talk about some of these things, you know, cause a lot of them are from lower income families. It definitely brings out some emotion in some people and being from where I'm from, it helps a lot because we moved around a lot when I was a kid. Like there wasn't really a place that we stayed longer than six months um, until we moved to Saratoga, uh, Wyoming. And I, we lived there for four years and I moved to Laramie and that's where I've been ever since. I've been in Laramie since 2010. So 11 years I've been here and I've just been stable you know, learning from my parents' mistakes and stuff like that. So I like, I just like podcasting because I like to talk to people. I like to get to know them, you know, and there's like every walks of life, you know, you can talk to anybody, especially music producers. They've had a pretty rough time, you know, growing up. It's, it's definitely good to know those type of people like Enar, you know, he's a actor and getting to know him and how he grew up. I made a friend in Iceland, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have otherwise have ever met that guy. You're right. He's a great guy and he's a lot of fun. 
I think too, uh, when we talked to INR, we, we learned so much about Iceland, you know, in, in the, in the little bit. And I, sometimes I think when you get somebody like that, it's, I don't think they're always talking about that because it's like, well, that's my life. I live it 24 seven, but you know, to us, it's like, really, there's, it's 24, you know, you've got sunshine 24 hours a day right now. That's crazy. Well, so, he called us cowboys. He called us cowboys. Yeah, that's right. And then when he just explained how it was in Iceland, I was like, yeah, we're cowboys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, when I did the, when I did the podcast with him, it was like 9 p.m. his time, and it was just as bright as it is outside your window. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, it's uh, it's 24 hours daylight here. I was like, does everybody just have like a room that has no windows in it so they can sleep? I guess that's all that sunshine. He's sucking it in now because he told us that it was dark, and when he was a police officer, they were like, one week there's like eight suicides or something. It's crazy. Just three, yeah, he just <clears throat> says people get very depressed, and so. Well, if you had three hours of sunshine, I'd yeah. be depressed too. <clears throat> yeah, same here. Well, that's generally what I get. Um, somebody <laughs> asked me the other day, they're like, how much time do you spend in your house? Because I work from home. And I was like, well, generally it's about 20 hours in my house, you know, if you count sleep and, you know, whatnot like that, and about four or five hours outside. And about 16 to 18 hours just in this room every day. Wow. Yeah, you got to yeah. like what you do, though. What's the thing? I'm if you, if you, if you <laughs> yeah, love what right. you do, it's not work. That's right. It's not work at all. <laughs> yeah. I still work for the insurance company. I just work from home now. So generally about eight hours doing that, eight to nine hours doing that. Now, did that happen because of COVID or was that something you could do before COVID? Uh, it happened because of COVID. Yeah, uh, we would still be in the home office uh, doing stuff, but uh, with the you know you, exclusivity and like you had to be where you had to be, then they were just like, "Do you have a do you have like a office at home?" I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> I got the best office at home. <laughs> I got all my toys in there. Yeah, I got an office at home. <laughs> yeah, I'll do. I have a home gym and stuff like that. So I'll do fifteen minutes in the gym, or I'll do fifteen minutes on the piano and whatnot. You know, just to stay." you know, keep the mind sharp. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's actually really cool. Have you been producing at all online or anything? Like collaboratively with other artists yeah. just producing? Yeah. Yeah. I have four or five artists that I uh, co-produce things with, but they, they like the hip hop beats that I have. And then they put like dubstep EDM overtones on it. Generally that's the different producers that I work with, uh, they take my beats and then do hip hop or like uh, EDM overtones on it. The internet has made it a lot easier. You know, you send stems or what they're called, uh, which is just like wave files of just, you know, the sounds that you have and then they can just lay it out and then they can, you know, chop it up or, you know, put whatever they want over it. So it's been uh, quite the experience. I have one artist in particular named Kinky K. Um, shout out to Kinky K. He, he's really good at the bass modulation and just making that, those 808s, that really heavy bass and just, you know, making them or whatever, you know, like he's just really good at uh, sound design itself. So that's, he's been a really fun artist to work with. Yeah, very I'm cool. always excited to hear what he has after I, you know, send him anything. Uh, we're working, we're working on this song right now called uh, Stank and uh, your mom's house podcast. They do like, they do like how they have those artists. They'll take clips from their show and make songs out of them. Um, I took a clip from their show, made a song out of it, sent it to him and he's going to make it, uh, however he makes it. Like I'm, I'm still super excited to hear that one. That's a blast. Yeah. I have, a 
on my Spotify, I have an, uh, a house song uh, called COVID-19 uh, because I made it like at the beginning of COVID and it's a house song so people could dance in their apartments or whatever, you know, just to oh, nice. feel alive again. Um, and then I have a dubstep song called Trying Something New, which is exactly that. I just tried something new. I just wanted to see if I could do it. I did do it. And so then I just moved on and just went straight to, into lo-fi hip hop. And that's kind of <laughs> what I've been doing ever since. Well, and it sounds like it's, uh, it's, it's, it's appreciated by other people cause they wouldn't be coming to see you. So that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I'm ready to start doing shows again, but, uh, there's a lot of stuff, you know, like a lot of my equipment, you know, I can record in real time but playing live and looping, I don't quite have that capability yet. So, um, I haven't been able to do shows, but you know, I still DJ weddings and things like that. You know, that's generally where the money is. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Unless if you're headlining the show, then yeah, you know, you'll, you'll make substantial, a little bit more money than if you're not. But generally what I do is I just DJ uh, random gigs here and there, you know, a bar is in trouble for a weekend. They'll call me and say, Hey, we'll pay you this much. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) You know, that's, that's a great thing though, that I want to bring up real quick. And I, we, I, we've kept you way too long. I'm just going to say this. I, I, I think that it's very important, especially for hip hop people, um, that, they don't, it, it, everybody seems like they want you. Well, come on out. I'll just give you some exposure. It's like, well, give me some exposure and then give me some of that money too, because it all works. And don't think we, you know, I can't eat on exposure. So it, do you see that over there too? Yes. Um, the first year, I mean, even now I'm still doing stuff for free just to get the exposure and to put the name out there, you know, like uh, the past or photography gigs that I've done, I've done for free, but every single picture I, you know, published with that in it has my, has my photography logo on it. Nice. So if you don't want that photography logo, then you pay me money and you'll get those taken off your photos, but you're not going to get the photos without that unless I'm doing it for money. Very good. Very good. And still, I mean, I, I, you know, if I have a friend, I have a couple friends that They'll, they'll say, hey, I, I rapped over this beat. Is there any way I can get it? I'm like, yeah, just do royalties and do split sheets and, you know, you can have the rest. Keep the producer tag, do the royalties, and you can have the beat. That's yeah. more so than I'm fair. still doing things for free to this day. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just for the exposure. And, you know, sometimes that exposure can pay off, especially if you leave your producer tag in there and they, they do make a banger with it and they do get it out there because the part of what producers do, you know, it, and a part of what – having any business is like is knowing your worth. Right. So absolutely. When I was doing things at the beginning, you know, I was getting a lot of artists that were half ass in it. Like they weren't doing any of that stuff, but as far as an independent artist, if you're going to spend $200 on a beat, then you're going to most likely finish that beat <laughs> and do well on it because that's also what you spent money on. Right. So that's that's why I started charging more money. Um, you'll see Facebook ads all the time of like people saying, you know, buy five beats for thirty dollars, and it's like you're not you're not helping yourself there as well as you're not helping the artist that is buying those five beats for thirty dollars. You know, you put your you put a price on it of two hundred and fifty dollars, and you you know you have stipulations in there like two hundred and fifty dollars for me, you get the beat, and you get thirty percent royalties or fifty percent royalties depending on you know which record label I'm working with, as well as you have exclusivities, right? 
Um, so when you get those exclusivities, then it's my price goes from 250 to a thousand and you take the producer tag off, you get, um, less royalties taken out on my end and things like that. So, I mean, it all depends on what the artist wants. Uh, generally to like any more of these days, there's a lot of people that like producer tags in their, in their songs. Cause it kind of gives it that breakup at the beginning and like, okay, now I can start rapping. Okay, cool. Yeah. And there's a difference between a beat maker and a producer. So a beat maker, you know, that's generally, you know, you sell your beats and that's all you do. A producer will be on that beat start to finish. And I've done that with many beats uh, that I have. So that's how I have that producer label as well as beat maker, as well as, you know, record label owner. Now, you know, it all comes with that. But if you're just making beats and selling them and you're not doing anything else with it, you know, if you're not recording the artist or you're not mixing and mastering it, if you're not bringing that song to where it needs to be finished, then you're just a beat maker and not a producer. And that's where a lot of people get confused anymore. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a music producer. Okay, well, what songs have you been on that are start to finish? Or what songs are you featured on? You know, because you can work that into your thing too. Is like, I want it to, you know, say featuring Squid's Killing It. And a lot of the artists that I've worked with, you know, they don't have a problem with that because they're only paying, you know, 250 bucks or whatever, you know, as they sign the contract It's like, okay, well, that's, that's what it's, that's what it's going to be. And I've had a lot of actually game streamers hit me up lately to have my music on their game streams while they're streaming. So with that, you have sync and master licenses that you have to send out to them that they sign, we sign, you know, they, the whole agreement, send it to YouTube so they don't get pulled or banned or whatever and uh, go from there. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to consider uh when you're doing music and i didn't realize how much until i did it (laughs) (laughs) when you're doing music it's you have to want to do music you have to want to learn how to set those things up you have to put in the work to set those things up you have to pay money to make money you know and there's a lot of people that don't want to do that you know once they get to that first roadblock they're like okay well i guess i'm not meant to do it and they'll just be a corporate slave the rest of their (laughs) life and it's it's pretty terrible but I mean, that's, that's just the way the world is, you know, any industry, you're going to have that, you know, podcasters, if you want, if you want to learn how to monetize your stuff, you have to put in the advertisements, you have to get the followers, you have to put in the time, you have to be consistent and, you know, that kind of stuff there. So it's with life, if you have a passion and you want to do it, you'll find a way to do it and you'll find a way to make money off. So it's, you know, depending on the person, but you have burnt turds everywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I really appreciate your time. I were, uh, we've stolen way too much of your time. Oh, glad to be here talking to you, Squid's Killing It. Check him out on Facebook, Spotify, Squid's Killing It. Go out to Facebook and check out, or any uh, place where you get a podcast, and check out Next to the Lamp Podcast. That's Next, numeral two, the Lamp Podcast. Any any last uh, words, Squids? Yeah, I think my longest podcast was about four and a half hours. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good one. But thank you guys for having me on, and thank you for help spreading the word of Squids Killing It. That's S-Q-U-I-D-Z space K-I-L-L-I-N-I-T. And like he said, you know, you can find me anywhere you can find music as well as, you know, the podcast and just... You know, if you want to, if you need to know information about any of this stuff, just let me know. I'm always available. I'm always working. So just let me know. <laughs> cool. That That's uh that's awesome that you're, you offer that out to people. I think that's fantastic. Hey, you have a great night tonight and uh, good luck in the future, man. 
Thanks. You know, maybe we can get you on my podcast one of these days. That's that's a bet. We will. I'd love to do that. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Thank you.